Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good, good. It's good to be here. Good to see all your faces. Good to see some new people here. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. We are in the third week of a series here at Homestead called Out of the Pit. And we have been uh, talking about some tough subjects. We've been talking about depression. We've been talking about anxiety, mental illness, how some of these things can sometimes creep into our lives. Um, It's affected our family. I know that it's affected many other families, many people in the community. And we have just been looking into the Word of God. What What does the Bible say to us about these issues? And the Bible is not silent. The Bible talks a lot about what do we do when we find ourselves struggling emotionally mentally, physically, spiritually, when we find ourselves in the bottom of a pit, when we find ourselves having a hard time coping. There are so many promises of the Word of God in there. And if you have missed some of the uh, weeks that we've had, they are posted online. Uh, Jeff has uh, talked the last two weeks. Week one, he talked about how did I get here? What are some of the ways that we can find ourselves in a pit? Some of the medical reasons, some of the emotional reasons, spiritual reasons. How do we get there? How do we find ourselves? Uh, struggling with some of those things. And then week two last week, um, how long will I be here? (laughs) That's a question we all ask if you've ever been in a series, a a season of life where you feel like, man, this feels like it's going on forever. How long is this going to last? And uh, he talked about two lies that we can believe when seasons of struggle can, can seem to be going on. And one is that God has forgotten us. And the other lie is we can believe that life isn't worth living. And hope can begin to disappear because you think, I've been here so long. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. And those are lies. And he did such a great job of sharing the truth that God is with you. God is coming for you. Do not be afraid. He has an answer for you. And so today we are going to be talking about how do I get out of here? Now, I'm sure it would be awesome if I had like, just do these three nice easy steps and it will all be taken care of for you in, you know, six weeks or something like that. But it's not that easy, but there is truth. And I think, how do I get out of here is probably the biggest question that we can ask. What do I do? I'm finding myself in this pit. Um, Anybody that struggled with depression has, or anxiety or any kind of mental illness would ask this question. What do I have to do to get this thing to go away? If you've watched a family member struggle, the question you're asking is, what do I have to do to get out of this? What do we need to do? What is the solution? How can I get better? And so that is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's just open with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into it. I thank you, Jesus, that you do not leave us in pits. You are a good, good, faithful, loving God. And at our lowest moment, you are right there. You are right with us and you have every answer we need. And so today, Holy Spirit, come Do what only you can do. Come and speak to our hearts. Shine a light into the darkness and show us the way out. We know that you know the way, and we ask you to come and show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So part of the title of the series came out of a verse of Psalm 40, which we'll talk about some more, but um, part of it came out of a personal experience that I had probably 
four or five years ago. I had been struggling in a season of depression. I wasn't quite sure if it was depression or what it was, but I knew that things weren't quite right. I was, uh, we were in a huge season of transition. We had left a job we loved. We hadn't started you people yet who we love, and we were in this in-between season. I was very burnt out. I'd had a lot of babies. <laughs> I had a lot of things going on, and I just found myself struggling. I just found myself not coping with things well, and I had been in a pit, and so the Lord began to kind of show me some things about how I could get myself out of there, and probably six months after I had made some some appointments and started getting some help for my uh, season of depression, I had an amazing opportunity to go on a trip to Israel. So it was for a project I was working on, and we were filming a Bible study in Israel. And so I was with a film crew and an author, and we were traveling around and filming some different things. And one of the places that we had decided to go film was Caiaphas's house. Now, Caiaphas was the high priest, and um, we were filming there. And so we had made arrangements to show up at Caiaphas's house after hours. So if you've ever been to Israel or seen pictures, usually all of these sites are crowded with people all the time. And Everybody's milling around. Um, but we had made arrangements to go after um, the, the museum and everything had closed so that we could film in the quiet. And so I was there with a number of, of film crews and things like that. But uh, there was a, a Francescan priest who was running the place. He locked the doors and everybody left. And we were in this amazing church. And one of the really interesting things about Caiaphas's house is there is a pit out in the courtyard and tradition says that that is the pit that they put Jesus in after he was arrested. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they took him to Caiaphas's house, and they put him in this pit. They wouldn't have had traditional jails like we had, so a lot of times they would take prisoners, and they would lower them into these pits or these cisterns. And so I took a picture of the pit. So, Charlie, can you put up that first one? So this was the, well, you can't see anything in that picture. <laughs> It's a dark pit, um, but I'll go to the second picture. So the top of this pit was just a big hole. So it was probably as tall as the ceiling of this A-frame church. So just imagine that. So because of this, oh, thank you. Because of the historical context here, they've taken the time and they dug out a staircase so that you can walk down into the bottom of this pit and look up. And so there's the first pit again. Go back to the second one. That one you can't see a whole lot. Um, but this was the only opening. This was in, in the day where Jesus would have been put in this pit. That's the only way in or out. It's this tiny little hole, and I'm sitting, I decide, I'm the only one in there. So it's kind of this surreal moment. It's kind of dark. I'm the only person in this place, so it was a little creepy. But I was in this pit, and I sat down right under that little hole, and I looked up. And I looked around to the walls of this pit, and the walls are sloped inward like this. They go, it's like a triangle going up. So if you were trying to get out of this pit, there's not a chance you would ever get out. Even if you started trying to climb, you'd kind of fall in. There's no way. It was too high. It was too deep. It was too narrow. The whole structure, there's not a chance that you were ever going to get out of this thing. The only way you got in or out was they would uh, lower you in by ropes. They put ropes under your arms and they would lower you down. And then when it was time for you to get out, they would lower ropes back down and you would grab onto that rope and they would pull you out. And I sat in the bottom of this pit in Israel, six months after being diagnosed with depression, crying my eyes out because all of a sudden I realized 
You pulled me out of my pit, Jesus. There's not any way I would have ever been able to climb out on my own. There's no way I would have been able to pull myself out of it. All the willpower in the world, all of the good intentions, all of the positive thinking, everything I could think of to try and do, I looked up there and went, there's no way I would have ever gotten out of here. But you pulled me out. And I thought of our theme verse for this week, or this series, Psalm 40. And it said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and out of the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground. And he steadied me as I walked along. And now he's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. And many of you today have been asking this question, how do I get out of here? What do I have to do? And today my, I have one very simple point in my message, and it is this, grab the rope. Grab the rope. Now, that might look very different for every single one of us, and we're going to talk about what that might look like today. But when they would try and pull somebody out of the pit, they would lower those ropes down, and you would have to grab onto it and hold on for dear life. You can't get yourself out of a pit of depression. You can't get yourself out of a pit of anxiety. You cannot pull yourself out of a pit of addiction by yourself. You cannot pull yourself out of a pit of an eating disorder all on your own, post-traumatic stress disorder, any other mental illness. You can try, but you need help. But the good news of the gospel, the whole reason that we are here celebrating what Jesus did on the cross is the fact that he came to rescue us and pull us out of our pits and pull us out of the mud and the mire and set our feet on solid ground. And he has no intention for his people, the children who love him, to live their lives sitting in the bottom of a pit. And he is lowering a rope down for you today and you just have to grab onto it. He lifted me out of a pit. He pulled us up. Now, there's an interesting thing about this. It would be interesting if someone had lowered down a rope to me as I was sitting in the bottom of that pit. Now, I want to be very clear about something. TJ is here, who I went to her awesome workout class. TJ works at uh, Lifetime and has a really great warrior sculpt class. And TJ might be able to have actually climbed up a rope with her upper body strength because she's pretty strong. They lower a rope down to me. I could try and climb up it. It's not happening. I, I actually Googled last night how to climb a rope like, cross, you know, like you're in CrossFit. And I, I looked at it for about two minutes and thought, I bet with my very best effort, I would get like maybe a foot off the ground. And then I would think, boy, I must be pretty, pretty high up. I've been working so hard. Well, I'm really sweating. And I would look and think, oh, no, still a foot off the ground. I don't have that kind of strength. And the amazing thing about this is, Jesus does the heavy lifting. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to throw you a rope. Could you just climb yourself around out of there? Could you just, you know, keep going? Keep Yeah, that's a really, can you imagine if you're halfway up and all of a sudden you think, I've now run out of strength. Yeah, no. Jesus says, you grab on and I pull you out. I will pull you out. You just hang on for dear life. 
That's all we have to do. He does the heavy lifting. He does the work. He says, you grab on, and I promise you, I will pull you out. And some of you have been thinking, okay, I've got to try and climb my way out on my own. And you're repeatedly falling, and you get weak, and you have a moment of weakness, and you think, oh, no, here, i got to start all over. No, Jesus will pull you out of that pit, but you do have a part to play. You don't have to do all the climbing. You don't have to do the heavy lifting, but you got to hang on. You have a part to play. You have to hold on to that rope with all your might. And I was thinking this week about this verse in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says this, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is what God requires of you. Hey, grab on. Take a new grip. Grab on to Jesus tighter than you ever have before. Hold on to him with all your might. Do not let go. Jesus is throwing you a lifeline, and he's going to pull you out, but you have to hold on. You have to take a new grip, and I know that's hard when you feel like, I don't have any strength. I feel so weak. I feel so tired. There's nothing in me that feels like I have the strength to hold on. Take a new grip and hold on for dear life. Um, Have any of you had, you know, a toddler grab onto your leg because they don't want to go to a class? Only me and Becca, apparently. (laughs) Man, they have a grip on them. And you think, have you ever had to pry a kid off of you like finger by finger? Yes, I have too. Let's just be clear. Grip can be a pretty um, amazing force when you are determined I am not letting go. Grip. Grab on with all your might. You are stronger than you even realize. And that survival skill of I am grabbing onto what Jesus is asking of me, I am grabbing onto him with everything, I am not letting go. That strengthen your grip. Even if your hands are tired, strengthen your grip. So what does that mean to grab onto a rope? Well, the truth is, God is an individual God. And our issues are individual issues. And that's why it's important that you say, Jesus, what are you asking me to do right now? Grabbing the rope for you might be totally different than what it looks like grabbing the rope for me. And at different times in my life, when I look back and say, that was a really tough season. I think I was struggling with something then, maybe after my babies were born or going through difficult times in our family or loss or difficult things. I even look back and see at different times in my life, the rope has looked different even for me in what Jesus has asked me to do in order to get healing. There are times that I have felt the Lord say, you need to go to some counseling, and I've made some appointments, and I've gone to see a Christian counselor, and we've prayed through things that I was holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness or issues that I needed to work through. Other times, I have felt the Lord give me a specific word. This is what you're dealing with. At one time in my life, it was, I was so um, consumed by people-pleasing and making everybody else happy, that I had driven myself into the ground, exhausted. And the Lord said, you fear men more than you fear me. And I spent the next year looking at every scripture on the fear of man. And there is a ton in there. And I started studying fearing men more than fearing God. And that began to bring some healing to me. And that was the rope for me at that time. 
Other times he's led me to talk to somebody, to just share with my husband or share with a friend. I think I'm struggling with this. He is an individual God. He knows you. He knows your body. He knows your mind. He knows your circumstances. He knows everything about you. And so the rope that he is going to offer you is going to be specifically geared to what will bring healing to you right now. And so you have to ask him, what does this rope look like for me right now, Jesus? What are you asking me to grab onto? Um, the six months before I ended up in Israel, I knew I had been struggling for a while, and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And I remember I was having some, some physical problems that were totally unrelated to this, and I was getting ready to go on this trip, and I remember thinking, I should probably make an appointment with my doctor and just make sure I get everything. And I you know, wanted to make sure I had... Uh, everything I needed to travel overseas. And so I had called my doctor's office to make an appointment for, for these other things. And I was on the phone, and all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to my heart, ask them to add depression to that appointment. And I was, I, my hand started shaking. I was terrified. I had never been on medication before. But the truth is, if you had asked me, if you had come to me and said, I think I'm struggling, should I ask my doctor for medication? I would have immediately said, of course, you absolutely should. You should do that. And yet when I was in that moment of thinking, maybe I really need help with this, I was terrified. I was like shaken like a leaf. I thought, oh my goodness, I can't do it. And yet the way the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, it was just in that moment, it was so quick. And I was like making the appointment. I'm like, oh yeah, and could you add a depression consult on there? Thank you very much. And I kind of hung up. And then I stood there and I think I called my mom right away. I just did something. I, I, I think it's okay. And you know what? This is actually what I ended up saying. And I'm going to say this to you, some of you today. I think the first words out of my mouth were, I just did something very brave. Because I was very scared and I was terrified. But there is something incredibly brave about saying, I think I need some help. And I was terrified to do that. And yet, I said to my mom, you know what? We've watched our family, my grandmother, and those going before. We have had depression in our family for a long time. I think I asked her, how old was grandma when this started? I was nearing the same age. And I remember saying, I'm not going to be a victim to this. This is not going to this is not going to derail my family. I'm not going to be a victim to this. If I have to be brave and ask for help, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I grabbed onto that rope and it was scary and it was terrifying, but you know what? It helped. And it was just short season for me that I was on medication. Now that's not the case for everybody. It might be a long-term thing and there is nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you this. A medical doctor was absolutely a rope for me. And for some of you, you need to hear today that there is no shame in that. And that might be a rope that Jesus is dangling down for you. Grab onto it and do not be ashamed of what that means. God will drop the right rope for you at the right time. You just have to listen. Now, most of the time, I have found it's going to be a process. Now, I believe with all of my being that the word of God says that Jesus miraculously heals people. I believe it with everything in me. There are times that he just can touch you, and you will never have a symptom ever again of that thing. And I have seen it with my own eyes. I know it to be true. 
But I have also seen this when it comes to many different things, especially when it comes to mental illness, is that more often than not, it's a process. And if you can imagine trying to get pulled up there, now if there was some kind of heavy machinery up there that just like some kind of a witch that just like one button and you're out in like 30 seconds, that would be pretty awesome. But when I was imagining Jesus pulling me, it feels like a process. It feels like you get up a little bit, and then you got to wait, and then it's a little bit more of a process, and then it's a little bit more of a process. It might take a little bit of time for you to get your healing. You know, and here's why I believe that's true. Jeff, the very first week that he spoke on this, talked about how do we get into a season of depression? Well, a lot of times it's our body's way of saying something's not right. Our mind says something's not right. There's trauma you haven't dealt with. There's relational issues you haven't dealt with. There's something going on inside of you. And so it gives you physical symptoms so that you know, I need to address something. And Jesus is not into Band-Aids. He's not going to just like, I'm going to now take away your symptoms of depression, but I'm going to leave all of the stuff inside of you that is ripping you apart. So part of the healing of depression, that's why counseling and all of these things are such a key part because Jesus heals from the inside out. He doesn't just stick a Band-Aid on it. He goes in and he begins to clean out everything that's there. He begins to show you the places, look, this hurt right here, I'm going to heal that hurt. And then that's going to help you over here. And he comes in and he does a work. Sometimes all of these things are symptoms that something needs healing inside of you. Your mind has something it needs to work through, so it gives your body physical symptoms. Um, I read an article by a doctor a few years ago, and he said this, depression is much more protective than destructive. It instantly slows you down and produces a state of lethargy and disengagement. Your system gives out before it blows up. It's very interesting to me that God has designed our bodies to work in conjunction with our minds, and we need to listen. And so that is part of why God says, I'm going to pull you out, but you're going to address this issue, and we're going to get some healing, and we're going to get a little more and a little more and a little more. And so many times it's going to be a process of healing. He doesn't just put Band-Aids on things. He gets to the core of it, and he heals it. Now, I want to make a little note here. For those of you that maybe have been clinically depressed or you love someone who has been extremely clinically depressed. What I have learned in my experience is that when you are clinically really depressed, you do not feel like anything. There's a part of you that doesn't even feel like, you just kind of imagine yourself laying there just looking up at that hole and you're just looking at it and you're thinking, I don't even have the energy to lift my arm up. There's nothing in you. The, the part of you that even wants to get better or thinks there's a way that you can get better, it's almost like this numbness comes and sits on top of you, and you don't even know how to ask for help. You don't even know how to begin. And the truth is, grabbing a rope is the most exhausting thing you can even think of. And I want to say something to the moms and the dads and the sisters and the brothers and the friends and the sons and daughters in the room, sometimes you got to grab their hand and put it on that rope and hold them tight until they have the strength to do it themselves. Sometimes you just have to do that, and you have to put that rope in their hands, and you hold on with them until they have the strength to do it themselves, and they will. They'll start to get up a little bit more and start to see, oh, wait, I'm closer to the light. 
hold on, I remember, I remember what that was like to have hopes for tomorrow. Oh, wait a minute. I remember a day where I was thinking about the future, but you might have to come and just walk through that with them. But for those of you that feel that, that you are just in the bottom and you don't even know if you have the strength to come up, to grab a hold of it, can I tell you something? Do not give up. Do not give up. There are people that love you and want to help you. And if you don't have a mom, dad, or sister, we here as a family of believers, we will come alongside of you and help you tighten your grip. Do not give up. There is hope for you. And I was reading this verse this week, and uh, it just spoke to my soul so greatly. And I think this is a promise for someone here today. It's Isaiah 35, 1 through 4, and this is the God's Word translation. I think this is a promise for you. The desert and the dry land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like a lily, the land will blossom. It will rejoice and sing with joy. It will have the glory of Lebanon, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and everyone will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now listen to this. So strengthen limp hands, steady weak knees, Tell those who are terrified, be brave, and do not be afraid, for your God will come with a vengeance, with divine revenge, and he will come to rescue you. He is coming to rescue you. And I love that, like, he's, he's kind of going to be ticked off that somebody's been messing with you even. Not only is he coming, he's coming with a vengeance to get you out of there. And you will rejoice again. There will be life. There will be flourishing. There will be blossoms. There, it's coming. You will want to sing again someday. Your God is coming for you. So do not give up. So you need to grab whatever rope God is dropping down to you. Now, to, for you today, that might mean telling a friend. That might be just talking to your spouse. It might mean calling a doctor. It might mean walking out of here and going to one of those tables where we have counselors waiting to help you and saying, I need to make an appointment, and I am going to be brave, and I'm going to do it because I know that that's the rope Jesus is asking me to do. Maybe it's getting into the Word. Maybe it's changing your lifestyle. Maybe it is just to stop medicating your pain away and actually get in there and deal with it. Whatever the rope is that Jesus is offering to you today, grab a hold of it with all your heart, and I promise he's going to pull you out. We've been hearing testimonies throughout this series of people who have gone through this journey and have come out on the other side because there's nothing more encouraging to your spirit than to see somebody, oh, wow, they made it through. I think I can do that too. And so today we have a very special guest. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world, and it's my brother-in-law, Rick. Come on up. <laughs> I call him Ricky. <laughs> this is my brother-in-law, Rick Ketterling, and I asked him to share a bit of his story. So this is sermon number two for the day. Christy should know better than to give me a microphone <clears throat> and not give me much of a time frame. You know, I'm a, I mean, I have a whole, whole long testimony of just uh, stupid things I've done in my life. But today I'm going to focus on the, the aspect of when my dad was dying in 2004. Uh, during that time frame, I became depressed. Now, anybody who knows me, I mean, and my best friend is here today, it just happened to be a coincidence that he was here. He didn't know I was talking today. Um, we like to hunt. We like to fish. 
We like to kill things. We like to fight. We like to, I mean, anything that we would consider in our world manly, that's what we do. And in my mind, uh, I thought depression was for the weak-minded. Um, it's... It, I'm quite ashamed of it. I guess you could say crying is for the weak-minded. That makes me weak-minded, I guess. Uh, or maybe I should just say that somebody who needs Christ is the type of mind that I need because I'm not near as strong in my own self. Uh, during that time frame when my dad was dying, I, I drank, and I drank a lot. And a lot of people didn't know that about me. They, they knew that maybe I was a casual drinker, but it was something I really struggled with. And in the alcohol, my depression got worse and worse. And of course, I was confident that it was my beautiful bride, it was her fault. Because men are like that, we like to, you know, I didn't do the dishes, I didn't, my wife is notorious for letting me know that it's easy to blame mom because mom is just always there. Uh, my kids do it all the time. But I, I really truly blamed her. I said my wife doesn't appreciate me, she doesn't like the, how hard I work, uh, I deserve to have a drink, she shouldn't be mad at me for doing this. Uh, but that really wasn't where it was at. The, the, the alcohol and everything just added to it. And my anger level got to the point I would lock myself in my room when I'd come home from work. In one hand, I'm really ashamed that I was to that point. But on the other hand, I'm so thankful to God that he gave me enough common sense, at least for that point. For me, it worked. That I literally would come home, I would go in my room, and I'd shut and lock my door because I was fearful that I might hurt Kate or my kids because I knew that every night I was so angry. Everything made me angry. Um, it was actually the day after Christmas that I made the appointment. It was December 26th. I finally called the doctor uh, and Tim, Dr. Tim Rudin and said, we need an appointment. My wife and I are struggling. We're having problems in our marriage and she doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't value me for who I am, and we need your help. Well, let's say one session, he looks at me and he says, Rick, you're depressed. I'm like, really? And that's when I explain to him, you know, what depression this is. You know, you're sitting in a, I don't sit in a corner crying. I, I can function. I go to work all day. I work hard. Uh, you know, I provide for my family. How can I be depressed? And he says, anger comes in many forms, many shapes and sizes. You know, it's not... In your mind, you think depression is a person who can't function, but there's so many different ways that it happens. And for me, he says, Rick, it's anger. It's anger. It isn't your wife. It has nothing to do with her. It's just that you're depressed, and we should deal with that. So I, for a period of time, uh, had to meet with another doctor, you know, because one doctor takes another doctor, and I went on medication for uh, depression and ADD, because at that point, I was struggling with focus uh, and my depression. And it was, it was something that I, I wouldn't think that I'd ever be on. I mean, if somebody had said, Rick, you're going to be on medication for depression or ADD, I would, in a million years, I would have said no. But boy, was it perfect for me. And that was a piece of my rope. You know, that was one of the ropes that got handed down to me. It was this doctor said, here you go. This is what I have for you. And God said, it's okay. Take that rope. Hold on. I'll get you through this. And it was just for a season. I didn't stay on it, but it got me through that time along with prayer and my family and church and God. I mean, just that's, we're going to take that as a given. We're going to take that as a given right now as I talk about depression and doctors and that, that it's God who orchestrated it all for me. 
everything was orchestrated, guided by him. I just had to grab onto the rope and listen. Sometimes I feel that he wasn't pulling me up. Sometimes I felt that he was actually dragging me maybe behind a car as my feet were out like this, you know, you know, you're trying to, you know, tug a war, that there's times where I knew that I needed to go somewhere, but I still dug my heels in the ground and I didn't want to go because I'm like, gosh, if I go there, what are people going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? You know, I, this, is, this is who I am. And, you know, I have all kinds of family that are pastors, my brother and my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. I mean, they're just all around me. They're like, gosh, here's this black sheep over here, Rick. You know, he's just got all these problems. But God got me through that. So uh, and I'm going to say one of the things with, with me in my depression was alcohol was just a, was such a horrible crutch. Uh, I mean, I look back at the amount of time that I drank and uh, that it, it is just a natural depressant. And I started looking back and I, I talked to a lot of people about drinking nowadays. I haven't had a drink since... January 18th, 2008 was the last day that I had to drink. Matter of fact, it was coincident. It was down here in Farmington was the day that I was drinking down here at uh, one of the bars. And that was the last day that I drank and that God pulled me out of that. And I look back and I can clearly say that nothing good in my life has ever happened from drinking alcohol. You say, something good happened. I went to church and I can look over alcohol. Has anything ever good happened because of it? No. Can I say that clearly things have happened good when I've not drank alcohol? Yes. Can I say all the bad things that have happened in my life? I was, good chance that I was drinking during a lot of those time frames. So when I look back at my life, I just say, gosh, what a lot of wasted opportunities. And in different areas of where I set myself up for, certain, for some bad failures. So, I mean, I would encourage you that if you, if you struggle with drinking and you're having any kind of problem with it, kind of take, uh, take an inventory of the good that's come from it or the bad that's come from it. I can promise you the bad will far outweigh the good because really there is no good that comes from it when you really look at it. Anything good that happened while you were drinking could have happened without drinks. But usually the bad that happened just was a direct result of it. So, <clears throat> you know, for me, it was, for me, I ended up going to a counselor you know, we went to marriage counselor and we went to a doctor and that. Uh, but at the same time, even still today, I still have bouts with depression. I mean, it's been years and years and years. I'll look at my wife and think, gosh, I don't know what my problem is this week, Kate. I just feel super depressed. And I, I mean, I notice when I'm angry. I notice when I'm unhappy. I notice when I'm feeling like that, which I'm so thankful to God for. Because I can literally, t I can talk to my wife and she doesn't judge me. There's no judgment on it. She talks to me, we pray about it, she prays for me every day uh, and helps me through that. I can talk to my friends about it and say, you know, I'm really having a tough day today. I'm, I'm struggling. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually uh, biblical. You know, Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need good men in your life. Women, you need good women in your life, but women, it's pretty, it's pretty given that women are going to have other women around because... They just will open up much easier than that. But men, you need good men in your life. And if you don't have one, you need to find one. Not you should find one. You need a good man in your life. And God tells us that you need a good man in your life. Uh, some you may just need a friend to talk to. Some may need a counselor, a pastor, a doctor. You may be on medication. Uh, you may not be on medication. 
you know, that is just the things for me. One more scripture I'm going to throw out there, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Uh, though one man, be o- one, one man may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three stan- strands is not quickly broken. So I just thought that was a fitting scripture in light of with the rope today. Uh, your friends, your family, uh, your doctor, your counselor, uh, they're all part of your ropes. They're all part of your ropes. And which rope are you looking for? And will you grab onto it? Thanks for letting me come today. We're very proud of you. He is not the same person he was. Jesus brought him out of a pit. And I'm going to ask Jeff to come. Um... And I asked him to sing a song this morning, um, just as we close, that has kind of been a lifeline to me. Um, I want to read Psalm 40 one more time. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground. And he steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God, so that many will see what he has done and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. So I'm going to ask him to sing this, and I want you to just take a minute, and you can close your eyes and take stock and say, Jesus, What is the rope you are lowering down for me today? And maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for your child. Or maybe it's for your friend. And you just need the Holy Spirit to speak something to you, Lord. What is the thing that you are lowering down? And I'm going to grab onto it with all my might. So just have a moment with the Lord as he sings. I promise he will lead you and guide you.